Hello, and welcome to Black Marriage Therapy, BMT for short. Here we become students of marriage in order to create healthy, long-lasting relationships. I'm your host, Kristen Smith, and in today's episode, we answer your questions. Before we get into the episode, I would like to remind you all that if you've been enjoying the content, please follow us on Instagram at Black Marriage Therapy, rate us on your podcast platform, and share your favorite episode with a friend. If you would like to continue the conversation, please join our Facebook group, Black Marriage Therapy. There, we share and discuss marriage topics to support and encourage one another on our relationship journey. Every now and again, I love to do episodes like this because I feel like it's a break in the serious conversations because, I mean, the serious conversations are great. This episode is just an opportunity for us to come out of our comfort zone or come out of the normal uh, way we usually do the episode. And of course, our special guest on this episode is Mr. Junior Smith, who you will hear from very shortly. But in this episode, what we will be doing is answering your questions. Thank you to everyone who follows us on our Instagram at Black Marriage Therapy for submitting their questions that we're going to answer. And also we're going to be taking some questions from TikTok as well. So without further ado, I would love to introduce you all to the man, the myth, the legend, again, joining us on our podcast today, Mr. Junior Smith. Hello. Thanks for having me. I am super excited to be back on Life Black Marriage Therapy. Thank you for giving somewhat of a normal intro because I know you could be a little extra. Anyways, let's jump right into the first question. The question says, how do you deal with feigned support from spouse's parents? They might be two-faced. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't know what feigned mean. So I Googled it and feigned means fake or um, what's another way to say it? Pretending. Pretending, pretending. There was another word that I liked on there. Pretending. Oh, no, no. It was insincere. So I like, I, I think that's a really good way to say it. Insincere. So we're talking about in-laws here. Um, I'll answer it. So I did do an episode on this because I had experience with in-laws that was, you know, not great. Not great initially. Um, so the first thing I'll say for sure is I just want to acknowledge your hurt and your pain because it can be difficult when you're coming into a new family, especially when you love the person. You want the people who love them to love you. But to be honest, that's not always the case. And it's unfortunate. So it can be it can feel isolating when you're not welcomed and not loved. Um, but I think the most important thing here is getting on the same page with your spouse which can be difficult because from your spouse's perspective, their family, you know, most of the time they'd be like, oh, my family's great, you know, <laughs> and they think that their family's great, but then you realize you're getting a different experience. So having that conversation with your spouse and uh, letting them know how you feel, and then from there creating almost a game plan to get on the same page, which is setting boundaries, um, being explicit in what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and just making sure that in-laws can't create 
a wedge between you guys because once you guys set boundaries, those in-laws will either get in line, right? Or they may continue their tactics, but their tactics aren't going to work because you guys are already on the same page. Wow, that was such a good answer. I was literally thinking about something to add. And every time I thought about something, you said it. (laughs) But here's my question. I want to take this question a little further and say, what if you cannot get on the same page with your spouse? What do you do then? I think that's a great question. Uh, Most of the time on this podcast, I assume positively. So I assume that the two individuals in the relationship are open and willing to work on it. But that's not always the case. That's not always reality. And sometimes you have a spouse that may be challenging what you are feeling. That's also a great question because I've experienced this specifically Junior, in the beginning of our relationship, when it came to in-laws, did not fully understand my feelings and my emotions. Um, He didn't understand what I was saying. He didn't believe what I was saying, to be honest. I don't know if you disagree, but during that time, I had to set boundaries for myself, which was so difficult because it was isolating and it, it made me feel not wanted and not loved. But I had to stick to those boundaries because I had to let everyone know that I was serious, that the way I felt was valid and true. So in our situation, I felt unwelcome in the home because people were talking about me or they had the wrong perception of me or I was being misunderstood. So I didn't go when they had family dinners, when they had events, whatever, I did not go. And I set that boundary because I was so serious about what was happening. And I wanted, I wanted it to be known that how I feel matters. So that happened for a while. I would have to sit outside sometimes, you know, because if we're stopping by, I would sit in the car or I just wouldn't go. And eventually, not only did it make it known to his family, but also to Junior. And eventually he did come around, but it was very obvious that I was serious about the way I felt. So to you, although that may be difficult, it's probably the best thing for your mental health and for, you know, your emotional health. No, that was a clean answer for sure. That was good. Question number two. Do you want to add to anything? No. (laughs) Okay. The next question is, what are some great conflict resolution tips for marriage and in life in general? Well, I think one great conflict resolution tip would be to make sure you are not making the other person the enemy. I think that really works for me because when I'm mad at you, I get these stories going that, you know, I can make up a whole story about you and just chew on that until that becomes what I want to believe about you. And I'm not even interested in finding the truth. And I'm actually just looking for, you know, my own confirmation bias to confirm what I already think. So, for example, like you asked me to like clean downstairs and then I come upstairs and also like upstairs is a mess. And so you asked me to clean upstairs as well. And I'm like, 
this girl must think like, oh, well, she was home and she was doing nothing. She was having a good time. Then she realized that, oh, she got to do something for the podcast, but also she wants her house to be clean. So then she tried to ask me. and But now like this sounds oddly specific. I'm just saying like I can get stories in my head. <laughs> I have a great imagination and that is sometimes damaging. And so I think not believing the stories we tell ourselves about our spouse is super important in making sure we keep our spouse as our spouse and not the problem. Because I think for a while, I would just be going off on you and like how you need to be more diligent and like how you need to like maybe ask me in a better way. I'm not even thinking about solving the issue, which is like helping out or whatever like that, whatever it is we need to accomplish. That's not on my mind. What's on my mind is all your mistakes and what you need to do to be a better person. Um, so I would say to that, a tip for conflict resolution, be direct as quickly as possible. You know, you want to do it lovingly with grace, but I have found that sometimes when you take too long to get to the root of the problem, it just starts, it gets really shallow. And now we're talking about things that don't even matter and you kind of just dancing around the problem. This can be difficult, um, because it's, it makes you vulnerable, right? To say exactly what hurt you and what you're upset about can make you feel very vulnerable. But I realize sometimes when you get to the root of it, the other person is like disarmed. So for example, if Jerry and I are having a conversation about, you know, chores in the house, instead of saying like, oh, I just feel like you don't do enough or, you know, oh, I just feel like, you know, you're not pulling your weight, whatever, I can just get straight to the root of the issue and like, hey, babe, I don't feel like you're considering me when we are splitting up the chores. So that's one example of like just getting straight to the root of it. This takes practice because you have to be able to get to the root of it for yourself. Um, if you're used to reacting out of emotions, that is going to put gasoline on the fire. So this is something that you could practice when, within yourself. And I like that you put for life also. Practice it in other um, spaces as well. So if you are if you have friends, if you have family members, if you're at work and there's a conflict, practice you know, working out that conflict, being direct, getting to the root of the issue so that you guys can actually focus on the issue. And once you start practicing that for yourself, you can also practice it in your relationship. Do it with kindness. I'm going to just put that caveat in there because you don't want to be like, I'm just so angry because your breath stink in the morning. Like, don't do that. <laughs> okay. Maybe that is the root of the issue. Maybe maybe we talk about hygiene. I don't know. But you just want to be gentle and come out with love so that it doesn't escalate the situation. That was such a good tip because you can definitely use that in other areas, like you said. That's something that I do now. Like, I work things out in conversation with people all the time. However, that's not the best thing for me to do when I need to be direct. When I have the time to waffle about and go back and forth and ping pong, I do it. But in those times where I have to be direct, I have to get in a room by myself and talk to myself. And I have to say it out loud. And I have to do, do that for work sometimes as well. Not just in the relationship with my wife where I have to get direct I have to just talk to myself a little bit and then go about it. And then when I finally put my finger on exactly what I need to say, I say it. That was really good. So cheat. Definitely. I think cheating is what we need to do 
when it comes to please explain cheating before you say <laughs> cheat. cheat conflict resolution um so this is something that i picked up from somebody else where not you chrislyn you picked it up from me i picked it up from somewhere else it was definitely and if you me. interrupt me again okay so okay don't get so, sassy hey chill out so listen don't get sassy with me so cheating is when you guys are talking to each other and then you may just put a time out and just be like, hey, listen, I am just trying to get us to a comfortable space where we are both at least talking to each other so we can just actually talk about the issue. And it kind of just makes the other person understand, like, you're really trying. They let their guard down. So Kristen's example that she uses all the time would be like, hey, I don't need you to give me advice right now. I just need you to comfort me. And then we go right back into it. Like nothing even happens. Like a you pause time. Give the person a word of advice. You coach them on what to do. Literally, you're telling them like, yo, this is how you need to respond right now so we can move forward. And I think what that does is it shows the other person you really just want to move forward. You're not about all that fighting stuff. You're not about winning. You know, if we both can move forward, that's a win for both of us. So I think like cheating in the argument is what's helping us defeat the argument and helping us move forward. I think one time I did this with um, Chrislyn. We were both mad at each other and I'm, you know, I just struck up a a dumb conversation. She doesn't even want to answer it. But then I just said, hey, listen, I'm really just trying to get us talking on the same page because I know this morning we had a big argument and I'm just trying to get us to be comfortable with each other again so we can address that. And now she knows like, oh, this dumb conversation, there's a point to it. He wants to get to the point where we are comfortable enough to be on talking terms again. Because sometimes you ain't on talking terms, right? And you got to go in there and ask stupid questions like, oh, was the stove still in the kitchen when you when you were in the kitchen? <laughs> you saw the stove in there? And then, you know, things like that. So I think cheating in the argument is, is helpful. That's good. Okay, next question. How do I know if saving my marriage is worth it? That is deep. Wow. First and foremost, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. It must be it must be very grave what you're going through if you feel like, you know, you want to get out of it. Relationship pain is painful. That's a deep question. All right, so I am going to give the preach teach answer, okay? That I know that is the un popular answer but as a matter of fact if you've been considering ending your relationship maybe you've already been considering this but i think prayer is how you find out um when to end a relationship i think prayer is how you find out when to begin a relationship and the reason why i say prayer is because i was sitting here trying to think of metrics like to to give you but honestly i've seen both sides of the spectrum i've seen relationships that you see no redeeming characters at all (laughs) Uh, relationships where the man has dogged the woman And the woman is almost foolish for staying. I've seen these relationships be healed and restored. And I've also seen relationships where um, people are married 30, 40 years to get to 50 years to get divorced. You know, they like, you know, they were doing everything all right. They were sharing money. They became roommates. And then they eventually just, you know, love was lost. So there's no specific metric I can give a person right now to say whether, you know, if you see this in your relationship, you got to go. It's done because that's that varies. Right. Um, we know what a healthy relationship looks like, but obviously that's not the question. The question is, how bad is, is too bad? And I don't think anyone can really answer that for you. I don't think we can make that specific. I think that is 
different and that varies uh, when it comes to each relationship. I like what Junior said, starting with the fact that it is very variable um, and how even people, couples that are in the worst of circumstances come out of it. I think that if we're not talking about toxic relationships, I feel like in toxic relationships, safety is the number one. Being safe, if that means separation, being safe for me is the number one thing. So if you're in a toxic relationship, I would say set your safety first. And then if there's healing and restoration that can happen, that can happen on the back end. But if you're not in a toxic relationship and your relationship is just in a very challenging state, pushing through and working through it is always worth it, in my opinion. And this sounds weird. Okay, so I <laughs> I don't know how to say this. I'm, I feel like no matter how I say it, it might sound weird, right? Because the question is, how do you know your marriage is worth it? I always think that saving a marriage is worth it. Doing the work to restore marriage is worth it. Because on the other side of that, it will be a whole new marriage. It won't be even the marriage you recognize. You'll be two different people. The marriage will be different. The relationship, everything will be different. But the healing and the restoration that can come from it and the new life you can build from um, that marriage can be, I mean, it can be life-changing. So I do think it's worth it. How do you know if you guys can save it? One thing I would always say and this is, I guess, Junior, this is my only metric because I know you mentioned that you don't have any metrics. If two people are willing, anything is possible. That's what I think. And for me, it doesn't even have to be a lot of willing. It doesn't even have to be a lot of willing. If the willing is just, I am willing to talk to somebody else about our problems, like somebody's trustworthy. If that is the little bit of will that we can have, I believe it's possible to restore it. Whatever that little bit of will is, if two individuals have just a little bit of will, I believe that you guys can work through it. If somebody's completely checked out, there is no will, there's like, we're at a place where it's like, I don't care, I don't give a damn, all right? If we're there, then you may have to, like Junior said, pray about it and really decide what is the best course of action for you? Okay, so the next question is, so this is a three-part question and it's talking about church and marriage, which I thought is great. So let's start with the first question. Do you feel like the church prepared you for marriage? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so we got married off of a refund check. We sure did. We sure did. I got $4,000 back from Bright Futures and 5000 role model scholarship. And, you know, most people take that first refund check. You get in a car. You're doing something like that. You whipping in the streets. whipping in the street. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that 4000 paid for Ideal I Do's. That was the, the wedding people we went with. They're trash. Don't go with them. <laughs> Um, they are trash. They're trash. Yeah. And I don't call anybody trash, but they didn't even know we were getting married on that day. They forgot our wedding. Um, <laughs> so that paid for her ring. That paid for the honeymoon. That paid for the suits. That paid for everything. And I told this plan to get married with this refund check to my church, to my pastors. 
And the guy was like, yo, are you foolish? You need a job. And I was like, I don't have a job. I got a refund check. But I'm going to get another one in a couple of months. And my church was just so, I think, adamant about the fact that, yo, you're going to marry this girl. She's 18. You don't have a plan for her. Is she going to end up getting pregnant? Is she going to end up dropping out of school to help pay for stuff? Like, you're taking this girl's daughter, I mean, this man's daughter, um, as your wife, or you, you don't have a job. And so I think in that respect, my church really gave me a reality shock that I needed. I can't tell you how scared I was to get married because of that. I knew I didn't have a way to provide financially. Um, God bless us, though. On the day we got married, well, the day after we walked into our home, our home was stocked. Fridge was stocked with food, uh, cupboards stocked with plates, cups, knives for it. Bathroom had towels and soap and, you know, clean linen on the bed and everything. Our friends had actually outfitted the whole place the night before. So, listen, God will make a way. You know what I mean? It takes faith sometimes. But I think my church provided me in that role, that singular role that men usually have in marriage, which is provider. Um, Everything else besides provide and protect? No, absolutely not. But do you feel like they prepared you? Before you were getting married, do you feel like they were, I mean, you were 18, so maybe that's not a good... I will give them credit to say that I feel like they said a lot of stuff I never heard before. I don't know why people wait till like the last minute to start telling you stuff, like real <laughs> stuff. So it's not until we're sitting in their office, they're like, okay, let me tell you what real love is. And you know, some of the stuff they said was rude. I remember my pastor was like, you don't know what love is. You say you love him, you don't know what love is until you have to wake up in the middle of the night to help take care of him or take care of the baby type stuff, going on and on about whatever. But I think I got a lot of reality checks. Um, like, do I really want to do this? So if I really didn't want to do this, I think they would have been successful in scaring me away. I remember one guy would told me, literally, a deacon at my church, I told him I was getting married. And you know what he said to me? He told me, just have sex. <laughs> He's like, bro, just just have sex, bro. <laughs> Did I say? He's like, you know, you want to have sex, and I know you want to do it right. Just go have sex, bro. You, you good? Like he gave me a pass, like a hall pass to just have sex, rather than getting married to somebody. Um, it ruined my life. So I don't think it was enough. I think maybe they did the best they could, but it wasn't instructional. It was more like revealing to me that I don't know what I don't know. But then there was no instruction that really followed after that I could build after. You know. Do I feel like the church prepared me for marriage? Um, no, I do not think that they prepared for, pre- prepared me for marriage. I think that they grew me to be a wife, but they did not prepare me for marriage in reality. So I've I got so much messaging about um, how a woman should be, how a woman should act, what a wife looks like. I in my opinion to culture and society rather than what a wife truly is what I've come to find out what a wife really is but that takes me to the next question which is do you feel like it's the church's responsibility to prepare you for marriage this question when I read it I was just like "Mm," it kind of got me thinking because I was like I don't know I feel like the answer should be yes because it's the institution. I believe marriage is, you know, God's institution. However, the church, in my opinion, have been so ill-equipped 
that I'm like, make it somebody else's responsibility, <laughs> please make it somebody. Or like, I, I just feel like churches may be going about it the wrong way. Like instead of making it the pastor's burden, it should be like a whole ministry by itself. It should have come stocked full with uh, a marriage therapist, with counselors, with coaches, with, you know what I'm saying? So that way um, there is premarital enrichment and there are coaches and counselors for, uh, for couples that may be in crisis and things like that, that doesn't have to weigh all on the pastor. I think the only way the church can not be responsible for teaching what real marriage looks like is if they stop marrying people. Like if they no longer do marriages, if the pastor does not marry anyone moving forward, they don't have the responsibility to teach you what a real marriage looks like. But if they continue to perform marriages, weddings, unions, right, under God, then they need to make sure, like you said, they're teaching people how to do it correctly, right? And so I think, you know, the way you said it, I've never seen it done like that before. It's always been the burden of a pastor to do it by himself. And I think the world is just waiting to see the way you revolutionize it. And then I think people can start following after that. Thank you, baby, for that shameless plug. I love it. <laughs> so the last part of this question is what what's the biggest thing you wish churches would talk about when it comes to marriage? First of all, these questions are amazing. Shout out to you. I wish the church prepared people to work in their marriages. We mentioned churches not really preparing people for marriage and marriage I've discovered is so much work. And I wish someone told me how much work I was getting into. And maybe if I had learned like, you know, growing up, okay, what it takes to sustain a marriage, what it takes to to grow myself so that I can be, you know, who I'm supposed to be for my wife. If I had learned these things uh, before I got married, I think I would have fared much better. Praise God I'm here now. But that's no thanks to, to, I think, media, culture, and even the church. Because I think we have this idea of getting married, and then the person satisfies all our needs, getting married, and then it's about us too. But there's a lot of work, inner work that has to be done. And there's a lot of work that has to be done to keep the marriage afloat. Um, not saying it's just only work, but it's definitely not going to be butterflies in your stomach 24-7, seven days a week. And so I think preparing people to work showing people the reality of what it takes to keep a healthy marriage, a long-lasting marriage, right? Showing people, um, yes, you're going to have to learn to do boundaries. Uh, yes, you're going to have to learn to um, be away from your spouse or even uh, think differently from your spouse, right? Not be so dependent. Or yes, you're going to have to learn how to forgive your spouse because they will hurt you eventually one day. All these different things about marriage, all these aspects that we could really dive in deep. We can have like a, a, a marriage ministry going throughout the entire year and there's so much stuff to talk about, right? Why aren't we talking about this stuff in church? The work that it takes to keep a, a healthy marriage, it just doesn't happen by accident. It's all intentional. And so I think that's one thing I would really appreciate for sure. Um, this question had me thinking too, because it says, what's the biggest thing you wish churches would talk about? Um, and if I'm going based off of my other answers, I feel like they need to talk about multiple things. 
<laughs> I wouldn't just say is one thing, um, but mainly the foundations of marriage. Um, I think sometimes the church get really easily caught up in um, the gender wars. I think when it comes to marriage about what women should do, what men should do, um, I think Sometimes they get caught up in the idolization of marriage, which is like marriage over um, the marriage is more important than the health of the individual, than the safety of the individual. I understand pushing through challenging times and even being in a space of a one-sided marriage and still pushing through. I definitely understand those parts. However, I think that we overemphasize or idolize marriage and um, different gender roles that we're not getting to the roots of these issues, which I believe are the foundations of marriage, which are uh, communication, commitment, connection, intimacy, things like that. If those things are not set first, the marriage can't grow. It's not going to stand on anything. So the last question that we have is, what are some tips for young married couples? So we actually got to answer something like this um, recently on a different podcast. So I feel like our answers were good enough to repeat them. <laughs> Do you agree? <laughs> um, so the first thing that I would say is if you are newly married I think that you should lean into the uniqueness of your relationship. Oftentimes, especially in a very technological world, social media driven world, we compare a lot and we're looking at, well, how do their relationship look? How do that other person do it? How do they communicate? And those things can be good if you're looking for a way to you know, enhance your skills and your tools in your relationship. But if you're doing it in a way to compare your relationship to the other person, it's going to be detrimental because you two as an individual coming together is so unique and the uniqueness of your relationship is so beautiful. So if you lean into that uniqueness, you'll understand that what's most important is what we agree on. So not what the world says, not what our parents says, not what the pastor says, what you two agree on is the most important thing because that is actually going to be more long lasting than trying to compare yourself and depend on other people's opinion for your own relationship. Also, you should get some self-awareness. Your marriage is as strong as you make it. And so it's as much about you as it is about the other person. So get some self-awareness. If you have self-awareness already, get some drive, some discipline to go out and actually change things. Sometimes people believe that, oh, if they can uh, put their finger on their issues, on their problem, if they can call it by name, that's enough. They've somehow done the deed that they need to. No, we also have to put in uh, the work to change these things about us. So uh, self-awareness is the name of the game when it comes to having a lasting relationship because there's so much growth that you have right to encounter and so much growth that the other person has to encounter as well we both need to be growing in the right direction for this thing to grow right for us to lift this thing off the ground right so practice that that uh that healthy sense of self-awareness so the last thing i would say is invest in foundational tools for your relationship especially if you're newly married i would say like the first one to five years, you should be tilling and working on building a strong foundation. 
If you have a strong foundation set in place, you can build a marriage as tall as a skyscraper. I'm telling you, because once those foundation, those foundational tools are set in place, you're going to be reusing them throughout your marriage. It's just going to be rinse and repeat. For example, and I mentioned this before, communication. If you can get in the dirt, in the ground, right, get real dusty and muddy, about communication and build those those ground rules and build how do we talk to each other like how do we communicate what is what is my communication style am i passive aggressive am i aggressive all those things when you can build a solid foundation that is going to help you in the future it's going to help you when you have children it's going to help you when somebody loses a job because you have worked on those foundational tools that are absolutely necessary for any marriage to thrive and survive. And to end, I would like to end with a a fun question or a nice question. What did you enjoy most in marriage? What do you enjoy most in marriage? Um, I can answer first. Definitely friendship, companionship. Um, just having someone there to hug when you're cold, to laugh when you got the giggles, you know, somebody who can support you, somebody you can vent to. I think that's just the best part. Yeah, I think companionship is number one. I think just being able to live your life with somebody else. So like they're seeing what you're seeing. They have the same kid that you have because y'all hopefully made them together. Right. They got the same life experiences or they got their goals right alongside your goals and as time passes we just see how we both grow together so it's fun to have someone in this life to live this life with uh, that's number one number two i think i definitely enjoy uh that ass um junior <laughs> oh my gosh i don't know why you're always trying to expose me on this podcast um that is all that we have for you today i would like to end with a quote on marriage and it says a great marriage is not when the perfect couple comes together it is when an imperfect couple learns to enjoy their differences and that's by david muir thank you all for tuning into this episode of black marriage therapy if you haven't yet follow us on instagram and facebook at black marriage therapy thanks again for listening talk to you soon